Again, if you're visiting with us today or not aware of this or forgot this, there's a handout that you can use on the back side of your bulletin that you can follow along if it helps you pay attention. When we talk about last things, there's a couple of things we want to step through to say we want to be sure that we understand that these are the things that we believe will take place, last things. The first thing, of course, is a wonderful thing. It's a thing to which we're all waiting for. It is the return of Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus once, and when we talked about salvation in this message, in this series, we talked about salvation, we kept, I kept coming back to those verses in Galatians, for when the time was right, this is my paraphrase, when the time was right, when the right time had come, God sent Jesus forth to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, so that those of us who were under the law might be set free. That's the first coming of Jesus Christ. These are church language words kind of things, so we, we hear these phrases, right? The first coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming is the return. Now, you guys know I like to be interactive, so I want to have somebody look up Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. We're going to start right at the beginning and have you guys read for us a little bit. Matthew 24, verse 30. Somebody look that up and read it out nice and loud for us so we can hear the words of Jesus. Now, this comes at the end where he is talking about a bunch of the signs leading up to his return. So if you want to study those things, read Matthew chapter 24. And 25, or whatever else you want to read. There's some other things there. But let's read just for, for this sake this morning, verse 30 of chapter 24. Someone have that? So he is leading up. He's saying these things are going to happen and these things and these things. And by the way, he's repeating a phrase. He says, but the end isn't yet. The end isn't yet. The end isn't yet. And then we come to verse 30 where Cheryl read for us that he says, and then they're going to begin to see this sign and it will be the return of Jesus Christ and all the tribes, all the people on the earth will mourn, it says, because they're going to recognize that he is the one who was killed. But he says he will come with great power and with glory, great glory, the return of Jesus Christ. By the way, earlier he said, in case you, excuse me, when I was a little kid, I used to worry about this sometimes, so I don't know if you ever did or not, but I remember you used to, th to think like, well, the world is like huge, right? The globe is like huge and all the way around it. Like when Jesus comes, how are we all going to know that? It seems to me that he could come on one side and I would miss it or come, something. But Jesus actually already addressed it. He says before this, he says, many are going to come in my name and say, look, here he is. But don't believe him, because when I come, everyone will know. It will be obvious. And that verse gives a bit of an explanation why. Because he will come with great power and great glory. When God visits, there will be no mistake. Now, you remember, those that saw Jesus the first time, the disciples, those that saw the resurrected Jesus the first time, when Luke begins the, the book of Acts, he begins that by saying that they spent some time with Jesus, and then one day he led them out, and then he ascended and went into the clouds, and as they stood there, and they watched, and they were gazing up into the heavens, suddenly there appeared two men in white next to them, and they said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking up into the heavens, into the clouds? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the, uh, in my opinion, since we already talked about the statement of theology that we believe the word of God is, is the truth and it's the inspired word of God and it's what we need, what we need to know. This is the convincing proof for us that Jesus Christ will return. There will be a return of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about last things, the first thing we want to know is that means Jesus is coming back. It's making an appearance. Now, this 
we, we kind of maybe want to keep on moving along, but I suggest that we spend enough time with that, at least we personally spend enough time with that thought that we allow it to become the momentous occasion that it really will be. Like, this is not another day we wake up and, like, I hit my alarm clock and I get up and I, you know, walk through the day and I do this and I do that. Or even my favorite of all days where something really great is going to happen. I'm so excited for it. That's not, this, this day, there's no day that compares. Maybe that's why we're all kind of like, oh, I don't know, because there's no day that will compare to that. But when Jesus appears, that in and of itself, not even counting all the rest of the stuff we're going to talk about this morning, that in and of itself is a momentous occasion. It is the appearing of the one who paid the price for every single human being alive or ever will live or ever has lived all of their sin in one in one time, in one, sli- in one space, by one sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are becoming sanctified. But we're not done. When Jesus returns, the Bible is very clear that there will be a resurrection or a transformation, whichever word and or both actually apply, that will happen with us as humans. So the first thing is, again, just like the first coming, the first thing is instigated by God. When the time is right, he will send him again. And then there is something that happens to all of us. Resurrection and or transformation. Now I say and or because it will depend. If you haven't died, of course, you cannot be resurrected. However, you will be transformed. To make my point, I want to turn to 1 Corinthians. And I'd ask you to turn there with me because I want to read a bunch of verses. And I think it's better if you're following along if you at all are able to. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now perhaps I'm going to read more than I necessarily need to to make my point, but I think it's good to just make sure we're hearing from the Word of God. Paul goes into a long discussion or, or rational laying out of things as to why we should believe in the resurrection, first of all, and then when that's going to happen. I'm going to start reading in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Follow along if you will. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So, and there's, he's addressing people who would say that when you die, that's it. That's, that's just the end of it. And we, of course, as believers would say, no, no, we believe in a resurrection. We believe there's something after death. And he is about to make this argument. If people, uh, if you say that Christ is born, raised from the dead, then how can you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, he's going to go backwards now, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, if you, don't, if you believe when you die, that's it, then you have no reason to have any faith. That's a pretty serious statement. Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Having laid the foundation, by the way, saying Christ has been raised, because if he hasn't, if, if there's no resurrection for us, then Christ hasn't been raised, and then we're, it's hopeless. Why are we even preaching? Why do we go to church? Why do we do any of this stuff? That he's going to say, but in fact, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. 
Now, all that, I made a big long, or had Paul make a big long argument about the resurrection, the fact there is a resurrection, and that Christ was resurrected, otherwise you're still lost in your sins, and that he, that you also then experienced that, but to get to this last verse. Everything in its order. Christ first, that already happened. But then at his coming, we just declared that at the last things we believe that Jesus Christ will return. So then at his coming is when those who belong to Christ will also be resurrected. Now, I want to continue exploring this topic because there's more to say. We could maybe just read all of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, but it's a pretty lengthy chapter. So I want to jump over and have one of you read verses 42 through 44. So in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, you're already there hopefully, verses 42 through 44. Someone want to read those out nice and loud for us? Listen, the point is this, brothers and sisters, pay attention. We believe Jesus will come again. We believe when that happens, there's a resurrection. The point is being made here that there's a distinction between our bodies now and our bodies then. There is a natural body. That's what all of us are in right now. There is also a spiritual body. There is a body that perishes. There is an imperishable body. There is, what is the other phrase you used? There's a body that is in dishonor, but it'll be raised in glory. There's a body that's full of weakness, can all of you attest to that? Maybe if you're young, you may not want to agree with that yet. But I can tell you, as you get older, you will understand the body is, is sown, is brought about in weakness. But it is raised in power. There's a distinction between the natural and the supernatural, if you want to put it that way. The natural and the spiritual is what he put it in here. And just so all of us are aware of this, we're talking about the resurrection. We're talking about people who have died coming back to life. But it really applies to all of us. For if we happen to be alive when Jesus comes, we're not left out of the picture. That's why I chose to go with these verses here. But I want to continue. Let's jump over now. Skip a few more verses and go all the way to verse 50. Paul says this. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We just talked about there's a difference. What we have now, what you, ha what you are in right now, your natural body, cannot go to heaven. I hope you know that. Cannot go to heaven. I'll just read that again since I interrupted myself. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Every one of us, whether you have died already before Jesus comes back or whether you were alive when Jesus comes back, we shall all be changed. That's why I listed that we believe when Christ returns, part of the last things, there will be a resurrection and a transformation. We will be changed. At that moment, you will be finally clothed in a body, in a shell, in a physical being that can be with your Savior in eternity. Up until that point, you cannot be because your body has, through one man, through Adam, came death. It is a perishable, a weak, a dishonorable vessel. But it shall be raised in glory and in power and imperishable. Amen. Now, along with these things, so far sounding really good, right? Along with these things, 
we have what's called judgment. When Christ returns, there will be a resurrection, there will be a transformation, but there will also be judgment. Jesus himself said this. Someone want to read John chapter 5, verses 26 through 29? I realize usually I give you guys a verse or so at a time. I'm kind of strained today and asking you to read a couple of verses. I hope that's okay with you. John chapter 5, verses 26 through 29. Someone read that out loud for us. Jesus himself said that he will bring judgment, that he will be the judge. All right. Now, these words, admittedly, would have come out a little differently when you were alive with Jesus at the time. And he's a human being walking around. A little different for us today because we have read Scripture and we know who Jesus was. But Jesus said, the Father is the author of life, and he's given that to the Son, referring to himself. And he said, he has also given him the authority to judge. And then he says, don't marvel. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. For the day is coming, and he's referring to this day we're talking about here, with the return of Christ, with the resurrection and the transformation. The day is coming when he will stand in judgment. And then he gives even a clue, right? Merlin, would you mind reading that last verse, that last part again? For when he judges, read, just read the last, I think it's the last verse, 29. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Also, don't ever believe the lie that only maybe Christians will be resurrected or only maybe evil people will be resurrected. It's everybody and everyone must stand judgment. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did a message on Satan. It was, uh, I think, two weeks ago. And you remember that we ended in the book of Revelation because I wanted to show you what the end of Satan was what his status was. Actually, already currently, it's already decided, it's already done, it just hasn't happened yet. It's one of those now, not yet things that we've been talking about. So let me read that verse again. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So we're kind of picking up, I, I want to set the context. We read that verse last time. This is at the end of this great battle and the final defeat of Satan. But John goes on as he sees what happens next. And this is why I'm going to read this morning. Because the very next verse says this. Then I saw, once the defeat of Satan had happened, this is based on the return of Christ, the defeat of Satan had happened. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Lots of stuff, lots of stuff we could be talking about. There are lots of side points I could be making. But the center point I want to make is that we believe that Jesus Christ will return. There will be a resurrection. 
Those who have died will come back to life. Those who are here will be transformed. But everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there will be books opened and you'll be judged based on what you have done. Of course, I could stop for a moment and ask you to consider or to look at your life and to ask you, how do you feel about that? If you would have to stand before the throne, like right now, how do you feel about that? Are you okay standing before Christ, knowing that everyone will be judged what is written in the books, according to what is written in the books, according to what they had done? There was another book opened, right? The book of life. And the last verse I read is that anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Can I tell you, friends, what is the most important thing for you to do is to make sure your name is first and foremost written in the book of life. And that is done by trusting Jesus Christ, by placing your allegiance under him, by saying, you are my Lord and my Savior, by saying to God, I receive the gift that you have given to me in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of my sin, by saying, I will repent of all the wickedness I have done and turn away from that. For these things that we do, don't just stop with whether we have received Jesus or not. It is a longer list of things we have done. Paul makes that clear. Again, I don't have time to go to it this morning in the text, but Paul makes that clear, that all of our works will be judged. Remember the passage about wood, hay, and stubble? Yes, the most important thing you can do is to put your name in the book of life, which is to receive Jesus Christ. But also do not be deceived into thinking that's the only thing you have to do. Like when I preached the sermon back to the basics and I said, this is the first of the commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. When it says the first, it means that there are more commandments after that. There's more to it than that. What a dishonor, by the way. Can I just, can I just say this to you? What a dishonor to stand before Jesus and to say, well, I gave my heart to you. And he will say, but you did nothing else for me. By the way, I'm not even sure you gave your heart to him in that case. So I don't think you want to try that route, first of all. But second of all, what a dishonor to Jesus. All he has done for you, and you can say, well, at least I gave my heart to you. I'm not sure that will measure up. The reality is, Jesus Christ, Christ will return. No matter where you find yourself at that moment when he does return, whether you are alive or dead, you will come back. You will be present. You will be part of this. You have no choice. And you will be judged. And the final piece that we believe that we, can, that we are going to talk about this morning anyway, is that all things will become new. Let me just keep reading because we ended at chapter 20, the last verse in chapter 20 and verse 1 of 21 says this. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Again, by the way, can I just, can I, can I encourage us to be critical, careful readers of scripture, taking time, just stop for a moment. What kind of power must God hold if heaven and earth will pass away. 
like this thing that you stand on every day and you think is the most solid thing in the world, right? That doesn't move. We have earthquakes and, and it really throws us for a loop because there's a few tremors. How about it's not even in existence anymore? How about the heavens? What you gaze up every day of your life, you walk out and you see the heavens. You may complain that they're cloudy or wish they were sunny or are glad that they're cloudy because the sun is in your eyes or whatever it may be. How about it's gone? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things has passed away and he who was seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new also he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true they will happen amen you should say hallelujah everything that we experience in life here the body sown in weakness Everything we experience in life here, sin staining everything, all kinds of horror, all kinds of tragedies, all kinds of pain and torment, all kinds of tears, all kinds of wrestling with stuff, all kinds of not knowing, all kinds of discouragement, all kinds of every negative thing you can think of, gone to be no more. When... Christ returns. All of these things, you remember how all this, through this, we talked about this, this idea of now, not yet. We talked about with salvation. We are saved, but we have not seen the final, final conclusion of that, right? It's not yet. We talked about with the kingdom of God. It's all about power, and it's now, but it's not quite yet, is it? Because it's not the fullness of it. There's still sin around. There's still evil around. Satan's, we talked about it with Satan. He is given some measure of power. It's a now, not yet. He's defeated, but it's not yet. We haven't seen the result of it. Well, guess what? This morning we get to come to the place in our messages where finally I get to say, there is no more, not yet. It is all now. It is all here. It's all reality. And I think every one of us should say, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Whatever you want to say, I think you should say it. I really think you should. Because it's an amazing, amazing thing that we look forward to. If this doesn't stir in us, then I, I don't know what will. I don't know what can. But I also want to come to this. Because in most of my messages, you know, that while I want to do a lot of teaching, I want to give us something to grab onto, too, something to prepare with, something to, to say, I need to apply this. And today of any message needs to be done. For when I say all these things about what's going to happen in the last things, what's going to come down the road, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? Maybe make it very personal, in fact. What does this mean for me? If these things are true... Now, I'm going to tell you it's not an if because they are true. Write these things down. These are trustworthy and true, right? Don't argue with the word of God. But if these things are true, just for a moment if I'm going to indulge you, if they're true, then how should I respond? What should I do? What, what, what's, what's the, what does it mean to me? I'm going to do my best 
to bring this last part right out of the Word of God. I'm going to read you. I'm going to try to not make a whole lot of, com- a, a lot of commentary on it. I probably won't be able to do that completely because, well, you know how it goes. But I will try to do my best to give you the Scripture as it says. I think first and foremost, and maybe I should have saved this for the end, but first and foremost, it means that we should be ready. If Christ is returning and there will be a transformation of some kind into this imperishable body. Now think about it for, for a moment. We, we, we tend to look at the good side of that, right? We say, well, that's wonderful. If I'm a believer, I'll get this imperishable body that's no longer dying, and that'll be awesome. What about if you are not a believer, and you get an imperishable body that will no longer die ever, 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 and you go into eternal punishment? Because they're both true. The resurrection or transformation is true for everyone into an imperishable body, into a body that will not pass away. I think we ought to be ready for that judgment. Let me read some verses for you. This comes from the book of Mark. Our quizzers should be very, very familiar with this, especially if they've been studying because it's right in the section we're in. By the way, I want to apologize to you. If you're following your handout, I gave you an incorrect reference. I said it's Mark chapter 14. It's actually Mark chapter 13. My apologies to you. Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 36, Jesus saying these words. But concerning that day, if it's true that Jesus is returning, concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard keep awake for you do not know when the time will come it is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake therefore stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning lest he come suddenly and finds you asleep and what i say to you i say to all stay awake now, again, to be good students of the Word of God, we should pay attention when there's repetition because anytime something's repeated, it means we should really pay attention to it. In this short five verses, there's a phrase repeated, I think, at least four times. What is it? Stay awake. Now, I'm not just talking about a Sunday morning when you're sitting here and you're trying to, battling falling asleep when I'm preaching. I know that happens too. That's fine. You can fall asleep when I preach much more readily than you should ever fall asleep on the return of Christ. Stay awake. Be ready, be prepared, know that it's going to come. You and I don't know when. We do not have that luxury. We can look at signs. We can say we think it's coming soon. By the way, believers have said we think it's coming soon for the last, ever since Jesus left the first time, which I think is how it ought to be, by the way. I think we should really feel like it is coming right next day, right today, whenever, like imminent, right around the corner. We don't know when it's going to be. It could be another long time. It doesn't matter. The point is, be ready because it will happen. Let me say this too. Not only should you personally stay awake and be prepared, it is what is given to us. These things I've shared this morning is what is given to us to encourage other believers. Let me read from the, Thess- the letter to the Thessalonians. When Paul wrote them, he talked about these, the last days, the things that are coming when Christ returns. But he talked about them for a very specific reason. Verse 13, chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, 
that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Look at verse 18. The whole reason he's saying all these things. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Now, he's not actually done yet, because on chapter 5, he keeps on go- talking about the day of the Lord. We're not going to read all those verses, but I want to jump down to verse 9, because he says there that God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. A little quick insertion here, just to make sure we catch this. When that verse is there, it does not have much of anything to do with predestination or free will. It's not that kind of argument. It's the simple fact that when God created you, he had in mind that you would be saved and be with him. He destined every one of us. His desire was for every one of us. He did not create us for wrath. He did not destine us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And he says it again in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Friends, can I tell you, one of the most powerful encouragements you can ever give anyone in this life of suffering and trials and difficulties and heartache and loss is to remind each other, my friend, it will not always be like this. There's a day coming where things will change. We do not understand everything now, but then we shall see clearly what is through a glass darkly veiled now. We shall be like him. We will all be changed. Think of the words we read this morning and the encouragement that comes. Think of how, I hope you felt this way, but think of how you felt when I walked through that and said, listen, we know that Jesus is returning. We know that's going to be resurrection or transformation. We know there's going to be judgment, which for believers is a good thing. It's the sign that says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with the things I gave to you. It's a good thing. And all things made new. Think of how you felt and how encouraged you were and then remind yourself that that's what you can offer to people when they're struggling. Encourage them. Build them up. Listen, in this world we will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Encourage each other. And there's one final thing I have to say about this. If we believe, truly believe this is what's going to happen, I might have clicked. There we go. We should persuade others. Let me go to one other passage of Scripture here, this time in 2 Corinthians Again, Paul is talking about the subject of being here or being there. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, he says, So we are always of good courage. We can always be of good courage, brothers and sisters. This is why. For we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. But yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Notice these scriptures all bring the reinforcements to what we've talked about before. But it's the next verse I'm interested in. He's just made a point. He said, listen, we should be of good courage all the time. For we know that when we are here, we walk by faith and it pleases God. We're bringing glory to him. But when we are not here, when we're not in the body, then we actually be with him. That's actually where we'd like to be. But either way, either way, we aim to please Christ because we know that we're all going to stand before him someday. And then he says, knowing that we're all going to stand before him someday, look at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Meaning, others meaning those who do not know Christ. 
those who are not believers. We persuade them. We plead with them. In fact, if you would keep on reading there, he uses those words. He, in the end of the chapter 5, he says, listen, we are pleading with people. We make an appeal. We beg of them to be made right with God because we know that day is coming. When you and I, if we truly believe that what, we have, what I've shared earlier this morning is going to happen, Christ will return, will be resurrected or transformed, whatever, both of them will happen, there'll be a judgment, and all things will be made new. Whatever has to do with this earth and its sinfulness will be destroyed, and all things will be made new. If we believe that, we first and foremost should make ourselves ready. We secondly should be committed to encouraging each other with that news, with that truth. And third of all, we should be very concerned about persuading people who are not ready that they might make themselves ready. Let me close this morning by reading one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. If you know me, you know I have a lot of those, so maybe it doesn't count for much, but... And yes, I'm going to read the whole chapter. I won't apologize for it. Second Peter chapter 3. I'd love for you to follow along. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the, then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.
God, indeed to you may be the glory and power. Indeed to you is all recognition and honor. You, God, you are, these are such weak words. You are the mastermind behind all this. You are the infinite creator being, the infinite loving being. You are the infinite holy and righteous being. And you have made all these things and you have done all things well. I pray, God, that we this morning would sit first and foremost in awe of what you will do, of what you said will happen. God, it is almost beyond our comprehension, for we cannot imagine a world that is not filled with pain and heartache. It's so familiar to us. In some ways, we're so deadened to it. But you have held this light out in front of us, and you've said, the day is coming, my children. The day is coming when the true morning star will rise. He will come. Jesus will come. It'll come at your command, God. Only you know. It'll come when you say, now is the time. When you send that angel and say, blow that trumpet. Then it'll come. And without delay. And then everyone will know and see. And we will all be brought back. We'll all be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, Paul says. And we'll stand before you. And that day we will need to be clothed with the blood of the Lamb if we want to be right before you. I hope as we sit here today in awe of what you will do, God, that it also becomes the impetus for us to make sure, make doubly sure, make triply sure if we need to, right now to say, God, I need Jesus more than I need the breath that I have to breathe and to live on. For if I don't have him, I will die. And if I don't have him, then I'll say right now, Jesus, I need you desperately in my life. I want to put away what is of the old. I want to bring in the new. I want to ask for your forgiveness. I want your blood to cover my sins. I know and trust that you have already done so by your sacrifice on the cross. And I know that I'll be set free from those things because you were resurrected. And someday I'm looking forward to being resurrected with you, Jesus. Help these things which crowd my mind and cloud my vision to drift away by the power of your Holy Spirit that I may see you clearly and follow you closely. That I'm ready for that day. And God give it in our hearts to have love and compassion for each other that we may encourage each other and build each other up that as we're struggling, that the best encouragement we can give is to say, my friend, my brother, my sister, God has promised that someday things will change. That day is coming. We don't know when, but we want to be ready. We don't want to be found unfaithful when that day comes just because we're going through something difficult. And God, may it spur us. There are many all around us who are not ready and will not be ready unless there's some exhortation given. May we walk closely with your spirit that as you move, as you push and prod, as you prompt us, as you, whatever it may be, that we say, yes, Lord, that day is coming. Night is far spent, day is at hand. Therefore, let's leave the works of darkness and walk in the light. Put on the light. Put on Jesus Christ. 
we may say no to the desires of our sinful flesh. And we may encourage others to do the same. I thank you, Father. I give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.